loving you live your life in vanity You traded all your hopes and dreams for insanity We're here today with Deacon Ronnie Lastavica, our pastoral care coordinator for the Gatesville region of Restorative Justice Ministry, and with Renee Brown, Director of Counseling Services for Catholic Charities of Central Texas. I'm Father Harry Dean, a priest of the Diocese of Austin, serving in the Restorative Justice Ministry as well. And today we're going to speak about de-escalation of moments when violence may be right around the corner. And um, we uh, are grateful to Renee for being with us today. Deacon Ronnie? Yes, thank you, Father Harry. Uh, Renee, as we begin these sessions on uh, de-escalation, could you help us by defining de-escalation? Sure. So when you think about escalation, that's somebody that may be irate or, you know, extremely angry. Their behaviors are escalating. And we want to de-escalate. So really, it's about helping them to come down, so to speak. You know, we're wanting to bring some of their behaviors down. When have you had to use de-escalation skills, like some examples? Sure. Um, When I was teaching, um, I taught in an alternative school for about 10 years. And so we would have a lot of kiddos that would, you know, become out of control. They could easily anger. And so we were trained yearly in um, de-escalation techniques. So so much of that has to do with our physical body, the way we look at people, the way we engage with people. And the whole goal is you as a person want to be able to be calm and your body language, everything about you speaks calm to the escalated person. Why was it that you had to have that training yearly? What is it about that? You know, we're, we're trying to help our listeners be able to, to take in what you're going to give today and hopefully be able to put it into practice. But it sounds like something that, that maybe it has to be re-talked about. Um, absolutely. You know, your skills get rusty. And, and, of course, in a teaching, you know, situation, we go home for the summer, you know, we get out of practice with these behaviors because it's not just the behaviors of the person that's angry and irate, but it's the behaviors of the person that's doing the helping with the de-escalation. So every year we would retrain and get good reminders um, and what we were supposed to do before we started the session. I jokingly said, um, you know, one of the things that they would have us do, like if a if a student was trying to bite one of us, you feed the bite, right? So that means if somebody was biting my hand, for example, I push my hand into their mouth more because they'll release. Where t- our tendency would be to pull our hand out or be angry. You know, you feed the bite, that person releases, and then you're okay. So it was just this retraining every year in technique so that we would be refreshed in what we needed to do to help students, you know, de-escalate some of their behaviors. Renee, before you would uh, apply those practices of de-escalation, could you help us with some signs that someone may be in a crisis and de-escalation may be necessary? Oh, sure. So there's, you know, different signs of crisis. Typically, there's going to be, you're going to have emotional signs, you're going to have some behavioral signs, and you're going to have cognitive thinking 
signs. So in terms of emotional signs that somebody's in distress, you know, they're escalated, they may be yelling, they may be screaming, they may be crying, um, they may act like they're really confused. You may see like a facial expression of fear or confusion um, and sometimes inappropriate laughter. There are many people who uh, laugh when things are very scary for them. And so you may even see them laughing, you know, at what seems to us an inappropriate time. Um, behavioral signs could be the person, you may see them breathing really rapidly. Um, maybe their body is shaking, you know, their hands are shaking or their whole, you know, extremities. Maybe they feel like pressured to talk. You know, it could be very cut off and there's this pressure about them. They may be swaying or rocking. They might be kind of even pacing. So that's some of the physical behaviors that you may see. Um, and they might have clenched fist or they may be really, really loud or they may be really, really quiet. Um, I used to always say that my son would, would scare me more when he was quiet than when he was loud. Right. Um um, and then just that lack of eye contact. Sometimes when people are so irate and so angry, they're so emotionally dysregulated that they can't make eye contact with us. So eye contact can be a lack of eye contact can also be a physical piece that you'll notice. And cognitively, you know, the thinking pieces aren't there. You know, you may be trying to engage with them verbally, but they're very defensive in everything that they have to say. Um, and they may, may be using like overgeneralizing terms like never, you never listen to me, you never pay attention to me, or it could be always, you always do this, you always yell at me, you always call me names. You So there's these extremes of always and never, you know, um, and black and white thinking, it's either this or it's this, you know, they can't in that time wrap around the gray areas, it's either black or it's white. Or blaming others, you know, in those moments, they're just, you know, blaming somebody else. It's my wife. It's my wife. It's what my mom, my mom, you know, or whomever. There's this hardcore blaming and a refusal to listen, you know, in that moment, this person is not listening to us. So there's those are just some of the signs. So you get somebody like that. Um, it's obvious that someone is escalating. You've been trained a, mm -hmm. as the person and you're there and you're starting to try to implement some of these things, but you're noticing they're not responding. So particularly that last one that you said where they're just not listening. Mm -hmm. uh, what are some of the behaviors a person can use to help someone, you know, the behaviors that will help them deescalate? Sure. So one of the things that you can do is be a mirror for them, right? So you want to reflect calm. And that's really challenging as the person that's going to be, you know, that's providing the good behavior. When somebody's very irate and angry, for us, it's hard to be calm. And I can tell you as a teacher, there were several times where I was dealing with violent students in the alternative school. And on the inside, my, my stomach might have been fluttering, or maybe I was a little nervous and scared. But the outside me needed to present calm to this person. Because if I present anything else, like if I if I let my anger get in the way, you called me what? Like nobody calls me that, right? But I had to remain calm so I don't escalate them more. So you want to be that mirror of what you want them to be. So you want to reflect calm. 
you want to be cooperative with them. Don't become combative. You just want to be cooperative um, and maintain um, just some, not only just calm, but even your tone. Your tone might need to come down. I, by nature, talk really loud and um, often kind of fast. But in that moment when somebody's really upset, your tone of voice wants to change. It needs to be maybe somewhat quieter, softer. Um, So that's something like I have to work on. So just something to know. Um, And remember your goal. There's a goal in all of this. And your goal is that that irate person is going to mirror your behaviors. You want to get them, you know, hopefully in that place of seeing you be calm, they're going to start kind of mimicking that as well. Um, Some other things that you can do is maintain a safe distance. Whenever I would have children in the classroom who were like really upset and they're acting out, maybe they're throwing things. I would have chairs thrown in my room sometimes or objects were being thrown or just different things. Um, Or maybe they're on the floor having a temper tantrum, but this would work with an adult as well. You want to keep space, right? Because you have to protect yourself as well. So you want to just have that distance, have some space. And that's not just for your protection, but that's also helpful for them. If a person is so irate and so angry where they're upset and violence may ensue, when we crowd somebody, that can make them feel overwhelmed as well. You know, body closeness can overwhelm some people, and especially if they're in that angered state of mind. So maintain some distance. Also, you want to be neutral in your facial expression. Um, As a counselor, facial expressions are probably one of the most challenging things for me. Because as a teacher, I had to be very expressive, right? But as as a counselor, I don't want to give away my thoughts. And sometimes my facial expressions speak everything. So when you're dealing with that person that's escalated, you want to try to make sure that your facial expressions are soft, You know, you're not looking angry. Your eyes aren't clenched like, oh, I'm so, you know, like that whole look you can get when you're angry with somebody. You just want to be soft. You want your body to be relaxed. You know, you don't want to have the clenched fist, too. And your body should just look very relaxed like you've got this. And you want to maintain a non-defensive, you know, posture with your body. If somebody's really escalated, right, and I'm just looking at them with my eyes are kind of low, you know, kind of squinted and my fists are clenched and I'm bowing out my chest at them, that is not going to work. They are going to see that I'm angry as well, you know, and it may, you know, ensue that they're going to become even more irate. So you want your body language to be comfortable, to look inviting, that you're calm, you've got this. Um, You want to keep your hands in front of your body and you want to keep them open, And somehow relax, just maybe they're kind of hanging to your side or maybe they're kind of in front. And that's because if you're if you're nervous and maybe your fists are clenched, this person could then be in fear that you're going to somehow hurt them or hit them. Right. They're seeing your fist clenched and it could be out of your fear. But then that to them can look like, oh, this person wants to hurt me back. Because remember, they're in a place of dysregulation emotionally. Um, Also. 
you want to you want to avoid being kind of fidgety. For me, it's really challenging because I talk with my hands a lot. Um, I'm doing that right now with you guys. Um, so I have to be. I would have to always be really careful when kids were irate or upset not to use my hands so much, and fidgeting because if you appear agitated or nervous, this person is going to have a hard time calming down. Um, they're going to feed off that nervous energy. And try to be eye level, you know, don't force eye contact. Um, you know, I can remember being a little kid and people say, you need to look that person in the eye. Well, often we can't. You know, we want to try to look the person who needs to be decess- uh, that's trying to de-escalate. We want to look at them, but they may not be in a place where they can look us directly in the eye. So be at eye contact with them, but don't try to force them to look you in the eye. And then modulate your tone of voice. Um, in a way that, you know, exhibits maybe some empathy. You know, it's reflective of empathy and try to have like no emotional response. Oh, my gosh, I know you're hurting right now. That That's a little bit. You seem to be really agitated right now. Just kind of monotone, but not overly emotional and not like a bored either. So, yeah. Renee, yeah. I'd like to back up just a little bit on... Um, the the, um, the matter concerning uh, uh, calm. Mm-hmm. What are you doing interiorly to? Uh, I know you're projecting calm, uh-huh. but what's your interior practice? What is it? A, what are you doing interiorly to maintain that uh, projection of a calm state? You know, for me, <clears throat> when I would be in those situations, in my head, I'm telling myself, you know, you've got this. You've had your training. This isn't about me. And that always helps me for some reason to remind myself, it's not about me, it's about them. You know, I didn't do anything to this person. Um, This person is upset for whatever reason, but it has nothing to do with me. And so for some reason that would help me. And usually a little, a few prayers to God too. I mean, to be honest, it's in that moment of me, you know, God, just give me that strength to get through this and help me to be calm for this person you know, help me reflect the skills that I have and use them. And so internally, those things would work for me. And in the beginning, when somebody's very escalated, it's, I'm honest, it's, you're nervous, right? Because you don't know which way it could go with this person. And so even though you're listening to them and you're, you're making your soft facial expressions or whatever, you know, in my head, I'm like, okay, you've got this, you've had your training, you know, God's with you, God, help me get through this. You know, this isn't about me. This is about this person. And, you know, even now and just saying that to you, I can feel myself like calming down. And, you know, even we may, as the person that's helping this person deescalate too, just do a few deep breaths. You know, if you if you need to, you know, some inhales and exhales, um, because it's just as challenging for you to remain in this calm position, the mirror that you want to present to this person it's just as challenging for you as the person who's in the moment of being escalated. So those are just a few things that I do to keep calm. 
You're listening to Red Sea Catholic Radio. I'm Father Harry Dean, a priest of the Diocese of Austin, joined today by Deacon Ronnie Lastavica, our pastoral care coordinator for the Gatesville area in restorative justice ministry, and Renee Brown with Catholic Charities of Central Texas, their director of counseling. And we're speaking about uh, ways in which we can help people de-escalate when they're beginning to uh, get into a sense of growing uh, in hostility or violence. Yeah, I really picked up, Renee, when you mentioned um, invoking a, a mantra or the presence of God in that moment. Uh, that was, uh, you said just a second ago, that how calming that was as we were just talking about it. What are some other response techniques that could be helpful to help with de-escalation? You know, one of the things that that I try to focus on is I want to treat this person with dignity, And you want to reframe from shaming them and disrespecting them. And I always would have to remind myself, you know, every person is not emotionally regulated. And every person is going through challenges. And for some people, dealing with challenges and being emotionally regulated is really challenging for them, maybe on a a bigger level than it would be for me or somebody else. And so, you know, this person that's escalated, that's really up there, you know, trying not to disrespect them. I can't believe you're acting like this. You're a grown person. Why are you acting like this? Why are you out of control? Get it together. You know, that sounds so disrespectful. And it's shaming as well. You're making them feel bad about something that maybe in that moment they really couldn't help because they are so emotionally dysregulated. So avoiding shaming techniques or being disrespectful to them, like just shut up and sit down, get over it. Oh, get over it is one of the worst things you could say to somebody um, who's emotionally dysregulated or irate and so angry. Um, So just validating them, you know, validating that they're upset, you know, you're overwhelmed, um, but really trying to stay away from shaming and disrespecting a person. And you want to avoid arguing with them. It's it's not our goal to 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 become argumentative with this person. And that to me is one of the challenging pieces is because often this person that's angry and irate, they can have the power to tap into something, you know, something they're saying might tap into something that you're already feeling because of something you're dealing with. And then before you know it, they've engaged you in an argument. And that may not necessarily be their goal, but it could be. And so you really want to refrain from arguing with them because it just intensifies whatever they're going through. And it's going to make this so much more challenging to get them to that de-escalated place of calm. So we we want to avoid the arguments. And then setting boundaries. Um, And this sounds like a a really strange place to have some boundaries, but... I always had boundaries, even when I would have students who were uh, going off is what we would call it. You know, they're escalated, they're in a major meltdown, whatever. But I had certain boundaries, like you were not going to touch my body. And that would be one of the main things I would just tell them, like, you can be upset. I, I will hear everything you're having to say, but you are not going to touch my body. 
meaning you're not going to hit me. My theory was if my own children didn't hit me, um, children in my classroom (laughs) were not going to hit me. So just some boundaries like that. Um, And you want to be careful with using boundaries in that moment because you don't want it to appear that you're trying to be argumentative or combative with them. Um, And it could be maybe they're kind of encroaching on that distance and space that you created in the beginning You know, and then you see them kind of coming toward you. You know, you might just very calmly, oh, hey, you're kind of moving into my personal space. So I'm going to move this way just a little bit. And you can move yourself. You don't have to be like, you need to get out of my personal space, which could escalate this person more. But you can very calmly, you know, say, hey, you know, I see you coming into my space. So I'm going to back up just a little bit. And then that way they know that there's a boundary there. Um, I think you have to be somewhat careful with with boundaries if if they become, I don't, kind of nitpicky. And it, it wouldn't be nitpicky typically. For example, um, I have a boundary that I don't allow people to call me uh, cuss words. For example, I don't allow people to call me a bitch. That's just disrespectful. In the moment of somebody being escalated, that may not be the time for me to use that as a boundary, right? Because that could be seen as argumentative or whatever. My boundaries are more like in touching my body, hitting me, or encroaching in my space. Anything verbally, um, not so much, because I know this person is so escalated. Um, And then once they're, you know, in that calm place, we can have a conversation maybe more about some of those boundaries of not calling me a name or, or something like that. But in that moment, that's not the boundary that I would pick to enforce, so to speak. Um, Some other things is just, you know, encouraging cooperation, you know, um, encouraging them. Maybe they could be cooperative. So maybe if they're standing up, maybe you can encourage them. You know, why don't we sit down for a minute? Plus, sitting tends to relax people. If I'm up, I can pace and I can move and it kind of keeps your body going, right? So your body, everything, you're moving, it keeps you engaged. Where if I can get you to sit down, you may be more relaxed, And so you want to encourage them, you know, to cooperate in whatever you come up with. If it's sitting down, if it's maybe using a quieter voice, um, you know, encouraging them maybe, hey, do you want to try some deep breathing? They may tell you no. They may tell you to F off, and that's okay. But at least it was something that you were trying to encourage them to do. Um, Also, validating their feelings. And this is going to sound a little strange because we've talked about validating feelings before in other sessions. What you want to be careful of is with this escalated person. Um, and there's, and I will tell you, there's different research on this. You always validate the feeling, but several things I was reading was like you need to agree with this person. Just agree with them to get them to calm down. I'm not a fan of that technique because when this person does calm down, then they really believe that you agreed with them. And then you'll have to go back and say, well, I really didn't agree with you. I just did that because I was trying to get you to de-escalate. So then it looks like, you know, you lied and you weren't true maybe in what you were facilitating in this so-called relationship. So I'm not really a fan of the agreeing part, but I do believe in validating someone's feelings. And so this person that's irate, this person that's angry, you can validate, wow, you're very angry. You know, are you feeling overwhelmed? And they're going to be telling you things that you can pick up on. I'm really frustrated. 
I'm frustrated. We can't get a visitation. My family can't come in here. So then you say, you're really frustrated. We're not able to have people come in and visit, and there's no video visits here. So you're listening to what they're saying so that you can validate the feeling. I'm really sad. I haven't seen my family in a month. So you're really hurt that you haven't been able to see your family. So you don't have to agree, like, oh, this is a stupid rule or something like that, because maybe you don't believe that. Maybe you feel like, hey, COVID's important. I don't want people coming here, right? And so don't agree necessarily, but definitely validate the feeling that this person has. And then also, um, you know, offers of help. You know, how can I help you through this? Sometimes just those offers of help can kind of calm somebody down, you know, um, especially for those incarcerated. Would you like for me to pray with you? Do you want me to pray for you? Um, You know, do you need me to get somebody you know, what resources um, are available, you know, at the unit that you have. Maybe there is a counselor available. Maybe there is somebody that they can talk to. So I don't know all those resources sitting in this chair, but the person that's doing the de-escalation in that environment would know what resources were available. So on our school campus, we had several counselors. We were very blessed at our school. And so, you know, often when children were out of control and they were hyped up, I would be like, you know, how can I help you? Do you need a drink of water? You know, do you need a quiet place to sit? Um, I kept headphones in my classroom so the kids could hear music. You know, would that help you? Do you need to see one of our counselors? And I would name them because one of them did play therapy in her office and one just would do casual talking. So I could offer all those resources and helps. And then just kind of repetition, you know, repeating, you know, some of the uh, boundaries that you have or, um, you know, repeating some of the rules You know, sometimes that can get people into play. For example, when I was in the classroom, the kids had to earn a playtime at the end of the day. So I could always remind kids of that. Like, you know, remember that you're trying to earn your playtime at the end of the day and you're not earning that right now when you're tearing up my classroom, you know, or you're throwing things in the classroom. So it could be the same thing for that incarcerated person. They know the rules. So the person that's trying to do the de-escalation, reminding them, you know, of the rules I'm not sure what they would be, but if a person's irate and highly escalated, I'm sure there's going to be something. And so just kind of reminding them calmly of that. So you get to know people pretty well when you spend time with them in a mm-hmm. prison, especially if you've spent years with somebody. And groups of people can tend to be able to call out uh, folks when their behaviors may be in this kind of mode. But you get somebody who you've come to know uses escalation as a means to get what they want. What do you do with somebody like that? You know, I think when that person is calm, not in that moment of escalation, because it's going to become probably argumentative, but definitely when that person's not escalated, I would talk about that behavior, you know, and you can bring it up in a way of, you know, I've noticed that you tend to escalate. Is are you, are you needing attention? You know, what is this behavior getting? What are you getting from this behavior? What does it give you? Let's look at other ways that you can get that. You know, maybe helping if, if you're a cellmate or, or whoever, you know, helping this person to figure out a different way that they can get what they want without that escalated behavior. Every behavior has a thinking behind it. 
People don't just behave in a certain way to behave. So if you can help them tap into what it is they need, what is their desire from this behavior, then you can help them figure out a different way to get that. I hope that made sense. Yeah, it does. And and then the, the other side to it would be as well for you come to know somebody who's an expert at goading people into mm-hmm. escalation. What do you do with them? I think you call them out as well, because once again, if they're the they're goading people, once again, that's a behavior to goad somebody. Right. You're goading them into this behavior. So what are they really wanting? Once again, is it to be the center of attention? Are they just in a manipulative person? But helping them to helping them to kind of look at what what do you get out of this so that maybe they'll change that behavior and adopt something new. We want to thank both Deacon Ronnie and Renee Brown for being with us today on this topic of de-escalation. We have a second session on that. We look forward to you hearing that as well. Uh, We wanted to close here on Red Sea Radio with uh, a prayer, and we'll begin it here. Let us pray. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. You may recognize this, the prayer of St. Francis, and you're saying to yourself, where's the other half? You have to listen to the next session to get the other half. We thank you very much for hearing us today, and we pray that everybody will live a a day without uh, any kind of escalation and with their hearts full of peace. Brother, 